Welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh, hello, studio audience. Hi, everyone. We have Welcome. to limit how many people can be in our audience today. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We're like late night talk show hosts uh, mm-hmm. doing this on the streams. I'm Greg Tito. I'm joined I'm by Shelly. Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Oh. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm excited to be here on the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Me too. We get to talk to amazing people today that we have not seen in weeks. I know. I miss seeing their little faces around the old That's water right. cooler. We get to speak to... James Wyatt. Guess. Yes. <gasps> Were you supposed to guess? No, I wanted, I wanted you to get it up there. Okay. And? Wes... Schneider. Yay! Very exciting. Two people uh, who have been uh, putting together the amazing Mythic Odysseys of Theros book uh, that is dropping on June 2nd. We're very excited about that book. It is uh, bringing in some of the story behind the plane of Theros in the Magic the Gathering universe that is inspired by Greek myths and kind of classical history. It's a different flavor of Dungeons and Dragons fantasy storytelling uh, from the from the medieval stuff that you might have seen in uh, Forgotten Realms or even the more modern stuff that's in Eberron. It's a totally different feel. So uh, we are excited about that. I am too. Um, I love Greek mythology. I am all in on this one. Me too. Um, and I don't know, other than playing, you know, the cards in the magic set. I don't know very much about Pharaohs. So uh, I me either. We'll be picking their brains and learning about it and hopefully getting uh, more folks psyched uh, for when the book comes out. I did a little research. You did? Yeah. And this book is chock full of really cool things. And look, I even took some notes. Look at your notes. Those are good mm-hmm. notes. I'm so, I'm profesh. You're in quarantine. Like on the top of the list of the profesh. Yeah. So uh, I'm very excited to chat with them and get my my questions answered. Hopefully You're they're not going to stump them. This is investigative journalism. It is. It is some hard-hitting journalism here. And nice. You'll be playing usually the role. Usually we make um, people cry. But. <laughs> <laughs> We're basically like the Barbara Walters of basically. the RPG community. They think yeah. they're here to talk about Theros, but I've got some... Some skeletons that have been unearthed. We're going to get answers, people. Are there? There must be skeletons in Theros, so we will find Probably. out about them for very sure. Um, that's one of my questions. Yeah. But that's exciting. Uh, there is uh, a ton of uh, excitement around uh, this type of a release. Uh, so you know, it's like I said, it's totally different from the the way D and D has been portrayed in the past, and definitely during Fifth Edition. So. Uh, we will get to the, the the meat of that matter very soon. Um, but there's also some uh, awesome stuff we want to make sure everyone is aware of. Um, during this period, we have Dungeons and Dragons has uh, created a resource website for you, the D and D fans. Uh, lots of free content, adventure stuff, stuff for kids, things that you can do uh, as activities with your kids. Um, everything is outlined on our website at dnd.wizards.com/remote. 
Um, but if you just go to the regular Dungeons and Dragons website, you'll find uh, ample links to it there. And we're dropping new content every weekday, so Monday through Friday. Uh, currently, we're doing that at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Uh, but there's a little bit of a, a clue in the morning, so that you might be able to guess at what is going to be coming uh, during that drop, which I think is fun, uh, kind of fun. Um, but yeah, we're getting the word out there about easy ways to play Dungeons and Dragons right now. And if you want to see a write up of that, uh, our friends at Polygon, uh, Charlie Hall, wrote up a uh, article all about that, and we'll be uh, sending it out to more folks um, because everybody uh, needs more resources out there. Yes. I think that's such a good idea. It's so yeah. nice, just as, especially if, I think you know, for parents that are trying to keep the littles engaged and entertained. And what better way than D and D? You can learn stuff. Don't tell your kids. Do not ever tell them that they're learning things like math and reading. Don't tell them, but they will be because make them add up their own dice rolls. That's what I've been doing. We, uh, we've been playing some Essentials Kit uh, with the girls, kind of the adventure uh, through there, the uh, Dragon of Icepire Peak. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just chock full of stuff where it's like, all right, you rolled this die. What does it say? Okay, now add three to that. What is it? And, you know, they think it all through and they're, they're getting that like yep. subtle learning. They don't even know that they're doing and having that practice. So it they is fantastic it. for that. Yep. Um, there's also uh, coloring book pages that are being distributed as part of this every week uh, or every day uh, rather um, so check that out as well that's a great thing to print out if you can and uh, color it in and uh, you know we would love to start to see those uh, so if you have images of you and your kids uh, coloring any of these things feel free to shout it at us uh, at Greg Tito on Twitter and uh, Shelly is it okay if they, they, they yes they, they I would love to see that well. at Shelly Moo Please. We'll start sharing them more widely if you are down with that because uh, I, I like to see love kids it. getting together with their family and doing it. Right? I especially want to see kid drawings. Yes. Yeah. Cool well, hopefully monsters. we can start to inspire all that, right? Like where it starts to, to get creative in there, uh, what they are making during this time because that is mm-hmm. really exciting. Yes. Um, it is also really exciting just to get together with people and play uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, through video conferencing. We've seen uh, a huge uptick in folks uh, wanting to learn more about that and how to get into it. And uh, that is always heartening to see because there is, um, you know, when we're all, we're all separate in our own homes, uh, it can often feel uh, isolating. And so being able to see other people's faces and doing it for uh, a purpose in slaying monsters and, and righting the wrongs of the world is always uh, therapeutic. And uh, I, 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 I've been, my heart has been warmed by the number of stories that I've seen of people getting together more often, including mm-hmm. our, you know, our, our guests that we've had on here where we've been like, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. We're playing more D&D uh, online than ever, and I think that's really great. And hopefully the resources that are available to you on uh, platforms like Roll20 Fantasy grounds uh, uh, are are helping folks uh, facilitate that that online play. Yes, and it sounds like they are, and I'm thankful that they exist. And I, but I also love that all of these face to face D and D campaigns just didn't end or go on yeah. hiatus. People were just like, I guess next week we're doing it digitally. They're still doing it, and I love that. So good yeah. for you, people. Now I feel guilty that I haven't taken my uh, in-person campaign and done it. I've been a little bit reluctant, but I think next Tuesday learning. is when we would play. So I think that's we might just jump right in. Are you going to do it? 
I think so. Now I'm in, okay. now I feel uh, uh, inspired to make it happen. I don't know. Uh, well, I'm I'm uh, a novice when it comes to using uh, Roll Twenty or Fantasy Grounds uh, as a dungeon master. So I'm hoping to learn more about that in the future, and you may see some content uh, around that no. because. I can't do anything just for fun anymore. I need to make it turn it into content, people. Content is everything. Everything is content. Content is queen. Yes. 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 Well, good. Then you can teach the rest of us. That's right. That don't That's know. the plan. Many of you already know, but the rest of us that don't. Yeah. And then you're going to start dungeon mastering pretty soon online, right? For myself. That's the way to do it. You got to practice. Maybe I should practice and just put, like, if I, that's probably how I could get Quinn to play. Just give him a screen. <laughs> okay, you go in that room. <laughs> I'm going to go in this room. Dad's going to go this... in that room. Okay. Oh, that's great. And then it's your portal to adventure right there. I like that. Yeah. He actually got mad because we told him no screen at dinner. We oh. wanted to actually have a conversation with him. And he was like, oh. I don't want to have a conversation. Like you already, really? <laughs> you already don't want to talk to us. We oh, like, have not seen you all day because we've been trying to work and occasionally like throwing some math homework at you. And we have finally have like a half an hour of nothing, just conversation and eating. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "No, I don't want to do it." He's a teenager. That Already. Very yeah, they're like, aging quickly in quarantine. They really are. <laughs> Lots Crazy. of dating happening yep. already. Yep. It's happening, people. Uh, well, good cool. luck with that. Maybe that is the way to do it is to be like, well, we'll be eating together, but we'll also be playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yes. at the same we'll, time. We'll Zoom our dinner time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I, I, it takes. I bet I, w- I would love to see that because I bet it is super entertaining. Yep, I'll as try a, it. As an observer, not necessarily as a participant. <laughs> I'll try it, whatever. I just got to get my kid to talk to me. So maybe he should be in the chat right now. Done and done. Is he not hanging out behind you anymore? No, I made him leave the room. <laughs> good. You just got doggy ready to, to snuggle up with you. That's yeah. good. Excellent. Well, let us get to our segment uh, yes. before we get to the interview, uh, talking Theros with uh, James Wyatt and Wes Schneider. Uh, but before that, I think I'm going to be talking to Mr. Chris Perkins about some lore. Oh, I'm excited. Well, aren't uh, you lucky? To see his face. Uh, speaking of teenagers, because he's only 14 years old, I can't wait That's to talk right. to him. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's slough on to it, shall we? Yes. Sloughing. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. Uh, That is the little segment here on Dragon Talk where we talk to Mr. Chris Perkins. Hi, Chris. Hi there. Uh, About little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore that are just fun to know about as well as things that you can use in your game. And today we are going to talk about Nautiloids. Yes. And I must caution people, if you're going to use Nautiloids in your game... Uh, you have two choices. They can either be fully operational or non-functional. And uh, depending on the choice you make, could take your campaign in some very interesting directions. Yes. Uh, yes. We recently, uh, many folks in the Dungeons & Dragons community, and if you haven't, I 
strongly suggest you check out uh, this video. It was released by our friends at Larian uh, as the cinematic before Baldur's Gate 3. And I won't spoil any of it here. Uh, actually, we probably will through the course of this conversation. Love uh, that. But it does feature a nautiloid pretty prominently as well as the interior, the exterior, and a lot of its capabilities. Uh, so that was the inspiration for us talking about it today. Yes, and so for those who don't know, a nautiloid is a mind flare vessel um, that moves uh, through air, through space, and through various planes uh, to get around. It is the primary vessel by which mind flayers travel from world to world. And nautiloids first appeared in, can you guess? I want to say Barrier Peaks? No, but that's an excellent guess. Oh, okay. Um, Bar- Barrier, Peaks, Bar- Barrier Peaks predates nautiloids by about okay. a decade. But uh, they first appeared in Spelljammer campaign setting. Box set. Really? They had not been uh, dramatized before that? Nope. Oh. So their first appearance was in Spelljammer, which of course was the second edition D&D campaign. Uh, Adventurers in space. space. Yes, exactly. And the conceit of Spelljammer is that every solar system is basically encased in something called a crystal sphere. And you can travel between crystal spheres in vessels of all sorts. And the Mind Flayer vessel that was depicted in the box set was the Illithid Nautiloid, which looked like a multi-deck vessel with a big kind of curling in on itself shell um, and tentacles coming out the front. Uh, And uh, that's, of course, where it gets his name from the Nautilus of the sea, which has a shell very similar. They have very striking similarities in terms of appearance. But but this this is a giant vessel that flies through space and has tentacles coming off its nose and it almost looks like a flying creature in its own right and of course if you've seen the larian video uh, there is some life to the illithid, to the illithid nautiloids um they're sort of semi-organic vessels by design yeah it's that idea that like there is so much uh, uh magic uh infused in it that it is it is life you know it is it is alive in some ways right Exactly. In the but there are things that were that Larian did with the Nautiloids that had never been done before in game. Mm. Um, for instance, in the Spelljammer box set, the original Nautiloid had these tentacles sort of entwined coming off the front of it, but they used it primarily as a ram to ram into other ships oh. or as a grappling device to grapple other ships. In the Larian video, we see tentacles actually reaching down and grabbing people. And then teleporting them inside the vessel where they can be uh, uh, captured, implanted, turned into thralls or all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they they really kind of ran with the ball on that one. Was there any type of teleportation or or beaming uh, in in the way they were described in Spelljammer? No. Okay. So that was a new new addition. That was a sexy new addition. Oh, it totally makes sense. I mean, you know, it makes it very easy for the mind flayers to get what they need, which are brains. And they don't have to leave the comfortable confines of their own ship to do it. Mm. They can do it all by remote. Another thing that Larian um, uh, took the ball and ran with was this idea that mind flayer vessels can plane shift. Mm. 
instantaneously transport themselves from one plane to another by basically thrumming on a uh, cord, which is uh, um, a very interesting way to handle it because the Planescape spell, as you know, has a particular material component, and that's a tuning fork. Bing. Uh, that has to sound off well. The mind players basically have their equivalent of a tuning fork that can cause the vessel and all of its crew and everyone aboard to plane shift instantaneously. I love that um, interpretation of both those things because when you're watching that video, you're not really sure what what the mind flayer is doing, what the illithid is doing when he's bringing these two yeah. kind of almost. Um, it reminded me of Avatar uh, of that like conjunction of two organic things that's turning mm-hmm. and then being able to pull it like a guitar string. Um, and feel that like thrumming is actually what creates the portal that allows it to travel uh, in between planes uh, was a wonderful extrapolation of a bunch of D&D ideas. Yes, exactly. So there are many, 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 many nautiloids, although probably not as many as there used to be. And as we say in Volo's Guide um, to Monsters, uh, the Mind Flayers are basically no longer able to build them. Uh, Their empire is so... um, fractured and destroyed and a lot of their original knowledge was was lost so basically there's a finite number of my uh, mind flare elithid nautiloids in the galaxy or in the multiverse now how did mind flayers start using nautiloids was there another race of creatures that they subjugated uh mind flayers are known for getting a, a vast number of races including the gith the duragar the kuatoa among others. Um, but the knowledge to create uh, nautiloids is something they developed autonomously. Um, and they used it primarily for colonization, to get from their dark, far beyond places to other worlds in search of more brains. You know, you, you eat all the brains on a planet, suddenly you need more brains. What are we going to do? Let's build something, go to another planet and get some more brains. And that's kind of how those things, uh, well, that what they were built for. Makes sense. Now, their crews tend to be pretty small. There's not a whole pile and pile of elithids on a, on a given nautiloid, um, partly because elithids like their space. Uh, <laughs> you know, genius takes space. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, a part of it is that uh, they also need room for things like thralls. Um, is there ways to transport elder brains upon nautiloids? Yes, uh, although typically there are different kinds of uh, elithid vessels. The nautiloid is kind of the stock model, uh, but there's also something called an elithid dreadnought, oh. which is a really big nautiloid that can have a, a it's big enough for a large brine pool to accommodate an elder brain. So if you need to relocate an elder brain for some reason, you're probably going to get see one on one of those bigger vessels. They also have smaller sort of shuttlecraft like vessels that they can send down to planets that are less. Uh, visible and less likely to attract attention. Um, now, mind flayers in, in Spelljammer, as you may or may not know, ships propel themselves through space using devices called helms, which on most ships look like chairs. But on a lot of mind flayer vessels, they're actually pools that mind flayers kind of sink themselves into uh, and uh, their psionic energy transmits through the fluid in these pools to basically propel the ship. Now, there is some uh, speculation that the ship itself does have an intelligence, and that's basically 
done during the construction phase of the ship, which, as I mentioned before, mine flares can't do anymore. But as they were building these organic ships, they would basically run veins through them and pump a slurry of basically liquefied brain matter. And it is this brain matter that basically suffuses the ship with enough intelligence to control its key systems and so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of... With, with mind flayers, you're always dealing with sort of a quasi-science or sort of a magical science yeah. um, to it. And so that feels very, in a way, futuristic or um, very much unlike typical magic tech that we see in the game. And that's why they don't need as many as much crew, because all you really need is a helmsman and yes. the ship does the rest of the work. Right? Yes. Now, the first time a Nilithid nautiloid appeared in an adventure was in Dungeon Magazine. In issue 28, uh, there was an ep- there was a um, adventure about a crashed illithid nautiloid that you could basically search and plunder. It was very straightforward. Um, it was a non-operational ship, but that was the first instance of one that actually appeared, and that was released shortly after the spelljamming spelljammer campaign setting came out. And was it a way to kind of introduce the ideas of this ship, uh, you know, into more? Uh, terrestrial or, or you know, yeah, material plane bound adventures, so that yeah. people could could get like a conception of what that means. There's there's the issue cover right there. Nice. You can see the Elithid Nautiloid, and that's it flying. That's it not crashed yeah, yet. Correct. Right? Yes. That's, oh, okay. That's, cool. That's moments before its ultimate fate. Um, yes and that's that's why I actually guessed Barrier Peaks because I think I had a dungeon master who you know must have been inspired by um, uh, this adventure as well as kind of the idea that there's this ancient technology uh, that is discovered Mm -hmm. and it was and basically it was a mega dungeon that we we, one of the areas of the mega dungeon was a crashed illithid ship uh, that had all this wondrous technology upon it yes so if you're wondering where that ship is it actually crashed in the forgotten realms Oh, um, uh, basically, uh, slamming down uh, uh, east of Neverwinter. So, oh, so we can we can go find it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's probably still there. Nice. Well, I'll take uh, I'll take my girls there after we finish with uh, the Dragon of Icepire Peak. Oh yeah, <laughs> good times, good times. Nice. Uh, well, I love that uh, Nautiloids have all of these, um, you know, kind of ties to Spelljammer. But is there a way to, you know, use them in, uh, you know, by finding a crash site or something like that? Like, how, how would you, as a dungeon master, want to incorporate this knowledge uh, into your games now? I think that, uh, like, for instance, in Fifth Edition, we put an illithid vessel in Under Mountain. Uh, that you can find. It's not a nautiloid. It's a different kind of a lithid ship. It's called a scavenger. And uh, uh, was that, that one of the shuttle ships? Yeah, well, it's, just- well, it's it's a good sized ship, but it's sort of got a different configuration. Um, uh, it's it's smaller than a nautiloid, though. So yeah, it'd be more like a shuttle. And uh, this is sort of a, a textbook way of introducing this kind of thing, where you basically find a landed vessel, and if you can figure out how it works, maybe you can you know use it and take off with it. Uh, the other way to go is to actually have a campaign where you start aboard the ship having been abducted mm. and then you have to kind of break free of your uh, illithid masters and then you're stuck on this ship which you may or may not be able to control 
It may be on a predetermined course and you don't know where. It might just deposit you somewhere or crash into something or lead you into the heart of some, you know, space asteroid field with monsters living on asteroids and things like that. So the idea of you starting as a prisoner is an also interesting angle. Um, then there is one of the stories that I, I've been uh, toying with maybe for my own campaign is an idea that elithidnotaloids are basically converging on a world, you know, mm. and deciding, hey, this is going to be our next big world plunder. And, you know, you have to stop them. And, the, you know, ultimately you have to get, find a way to get shot up into space uh, to, to take out the elder brain that's basically in orbit controlling all of this activity. Oh, uh, you so, can almost make it like a um, like a Borg attack type idea. Where there's, exactly. There's this uh, uh, hive of creatures that are all being controlled by one point, and if you can get to that one point, yeah. you might be able to take out the whole fleet. Another thing that mind players are fond of doing is insinuating themselves into places with ample brains. So uh, there was an old adventure in 3rd edition called Speaker of Dreams, which James Wyatt wrote. And huh. it basically had this town that was in the thrall of a mind flayer who was sort of the, the power behind the throne. You didn't, it was disguised, so you didn't know what it was. But you could imagine that upon uncovering the fact that mind flayers are walking and living among us, that they might have a secret ship hidden somewhere, maybe out in the woods or over the mountains or over that hill. And if you can find mm-hmm. it, you can steal it, take it, and begin your life as a nautiloid captain, pirate, you know, uh, plying space in your own nautiloid. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and that made me I have to think of an idea of like, um, can can is there cloaking technology? Can nautiloids, uh, you know, have an invisibility spell cast on them? Absolutely. If you have a ship that can plane shift, you can almost certainly have a ship that can turn invisible. Yeah. So I wonder if, if instead of it being over a hill or hidden in some ways, it's it's there right above the town. Oh yeah. And the mind flayer is able to exert his influence. The just only problem by, with that is you'd see birds flying into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's <laughs> like you just see birds dropping out of the sky. Like, what the hell is going on? That's cool. But I mean, as a dungeon master, that'd be a great detail. You yeah. just be like, oh, you just see a bird and it falls down. What happened? Yeah. And then they have. That's how they start to figure it out. Bird stroke. <laughs> oh, that clever <laughs> druid spell, bird stroke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, evil druid, though, clearly. Clearly, yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So if you were a nautiloid captain, what would your name be? Uh, captain Tentacles. Tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it's uh reminds me of Dr. Tentaculus, uh the uh the character from Monster Madness, the uh Dungeon Mayhem thing that just came out. Nice. Uh by the way, my daughter cannot pronounce that name to to save her life. <laughs> understandable, understandable. <laughs> it's it's really amusing to hear her try to sound it out. It is it's it's amazing. Uh she must be under Mind Flayer influence. That's probably potentially, right. yes. Yeah. We have awesome. we, many of us are. <laughs> I think we all are. Uh, as I, there actually is a mind flayer hanging over here uh, that's been telling me all the things that I need to know uh, and yeah. talk on here on Dragon Talk. Uh, well, awesome. Uh, any other bits about Nautiloids that we we want to get out there? Uh, other than go watch the Baldur's Gate three cinematic if you have not yet seen it. Uh, no, I think we've just about covered it. Um, there's because they were they haven't been used a ton. Um, I think uh, there's there's not a whole lot of lore there, unless you want to know things like their cargo capacity, which I think we don't need to know. For, yeah, 
what's their cargo capacity? <laughs> 400 pounds. Let me tell you. Their cargo capacity is... And how much is wheat in 35 tons. 35 tons. All right, well... Uh, I think we're all going to be starting a uh, a really amazing um, uh, Spelljammer campaign that allows us to trade and uh, you know do some commodities training because everyone loves that in D anD. d Absolutely, and I'm sure all all the folks out there in the real world listening to this podcast now know that Spelljammer has indeed been confirmed. No. <laughs> At least forty times uh, over the last <laughs> few months, still confirming it each time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, All right. Well, yeah, awesome. A, I ran a Spelljammer campaign for five years, so I'm a big fan. I, I I want more people to jump in, and now they'll they'll be able to do that with uh, with this Nautiloid information. Indeed. Uh, if people wanted to ask you though about what your uh, 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 favorite Spelljammer ship is, how could they do so? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. We will uh, be inundated with more Spelljammer questions, I'm sure. And uh, we'll be back with some more lore coming up. Man, I missed talking to Chris Perkins. Me too. I miss his soft voice. His sultry tones. tones, yes. uh, Telling us all about uh, what is happening inside those nautiloids. Yeah. What's happening inside those nautiloids? So yes. much. Now we and know. Done and done. Uh, speaking of things that we are excited to learn about, we are going to talk now to Wes Schneider and James Wyatt about Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Yes! Yes! Finally! Let's do it. Let's get them on the phone. We'll use our sending stones to communicate Ooh. with them. Ooh, I think I, I, think I sense... At least James Wyatt's presence. Oh. Oh, oh, there's a cloaked figure in the back. <laughs> it must be Wes. Uh, and he's singing musicals. Hello, and welcome Wes Schneider and James Wyatt to Dragon Talk. Yay. Yay. Hey, thanks for having us. Big fans in the audience, (laughs) huge fans. They've been waiting outside a long time to get in to see you guys. Oh, don't tell me you need to get out now. (laughs) Look who's here. Look who's here. Oh, we got a puppy. The best studio audience. He's a huge fan, you guys. (laughs) They've been scratching and clawing at the doors to get in. (laughs) He's like, I bought my ticket six months ago. This better not get canceled. <laughs> we bring the show to you. We do. We do. Very nice. Well, thank you guys for calling in. I know it's always uh hard to do uh in your busy schedules when it's in the studio and in the office, uh but this is always uh, a, a treat to be able to talk to you. It's yeah. Nice to actually see faces of yeah. other people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello, fellow survivor. Honestly, <laughs> I think that's why I look forward to Dragon Talk so much is like I'm going to see some new faces today <laughs> oh my god it's new face day oh, not the same one or two adults nope no, it's delightful real people yeah uh, how, how are you guys are... good good hanging in yeah it's totally a west coast question <laughs> a west coast question <laughs> 
No, a West Coast. <laughs> ask questions like that. Ask me other questions. No, I'm I'm being ridiculous. I'm fine. Aww. We all are. <laughs> so the therapy session of Dragon yes. Ball these days, is it usually like five minutes or well, 50? Usually or? like two or three, but these days it's about oh. 35, 45. We stretch nice. it. Yeah. We stretch it. Yeah. We appreciate that. That's definitely really that's what that's what that's what we're really here for. You know what's good for for these these times? Playing Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> if only we had some James? new products. Have you been playing uh, online? I have, yeah. How's that been going? Um, pretty well, actually. Uh, our um, the regular campaign that I'm in has been meeting online more frequently than we were doing in person. Oh, the last couple of months. That's good. I also happen to have three adult D and D players living in my house with me, so that hasn't been quite as as productive as you might think. But uh, there has been some gaming, and there will be more. There will be more. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I, we have noticed that a lot with talking to some folks where uh, they're, by, by bridging their, their in-person game to online, they're like, wait, we're actually regularly meeting a lot more than we would have in the past. <laughs> a lot fewer other commitments. Yes. Uh, and I think a lot of people, like, people are putting uh, importance on, on these commitments uh, because yes. it is a solace for, for a lot of folks. Definitely. What, what about, about U.S.? US? <gasps> Jinx. That's creepy. You know, it's not something <laughs> that I haven't I haven't in the weeks that I've been working from home, but there's been enough folks who are like, we should really get this rolling that I think I'm going to be caving to social gravity pretty soon. It's the That's best good. kind of peer pressure. <laughs> the best kind. It is. You're, right. you're doing them a favor. <laughs> Play D and D. All the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? How the world has changed in the last 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, but I'm, I'm a little bit like U.S. where I have not uh, had the caving quite yet. I've been playing as much online. A lot of it is just, you know, that's a new frontier for me. And I haven't, you know, really been able to, I, I enjoy the in-person and having, yeah. you know, drawing out uh, maps and having the tactile thing of miniatures. And so it can sometimes be hard for me to do uh, online gaming, but I'm jumping in. Uh, eventually, but I have been playing with my daughters uh, uh, here physically, and that's been really great. Similar to James having the players built in, it's kind of like, all right, well, we're not doing anything this half hour. You want to go roll some dice, and uh, it's been a lot easier to to get them excited about it. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You can say, um, do you want to do your math homework, or do you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> And practice basic addition. I mean, really, they don't know that it it is math. But. <laughs> the best way to trick them it is true and they like to roll the dice and just be like all right what's what's add three to that and they're like i don't know and they're like yes you do (laughs) i know this you got this sweet well we are excited about a whole new flavor of of dungeons and dragons uh that you two have been working on very diligently uh Mm -hmm. the theros book uh mythic odysseys of theros uh is is coming on june 2nd and uh, we've been talking about it a little bit, as you know, because we get the top level like bullet points of what it is. But I'd love to hear from from one of you. What do you think is the description of 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 this type of of, of classical Dungeons and Dragons play? So, <laughs> um, Theros is a a world 
that originated with a Magic the Gathering set uh, for anybody who doesn't know that. But what's cool about it and what I think makes it a great D&D setting is that it's inspired by Greek mythology. But it's it's basically, I like to, to hold it up as an example of how you can take mythological themes and elements and incorporate them into a, a fantasy world that you build from the ground up. So you're not just taking Zeus and Athena and um, Hermes and, and dropping them into either a real world Greece or any other fantasy setting. You're building the world around them. Um, as as a D&D setting, as a fantasy world. So uh, it takes familiar elements and puts a, a unique spin on them, I think. This is also the world where if you've ever really been into the gods of D&D or the gods of Greek mythology, this is 100% the setting for you because all the pettiness, all the right there, all of the I'm, I'm a scheming god over your shoulder and I want you to do this thing, the gods are 100% like center staged as primary players and characters mm. and regardless of whether you're a cleric or a, a fighter or a rogue you're going to have a relationship with those deities that gets explored sometimes you know for the betterment of your character and but sometimes very much for the opposite is there is there okay at first let me just ask this is probably a dumb question but i did not know james you were mentioning like zeus and athena and all, are they are they in this no. Okay. I'm going to say, like, am I going to encounter <laughs> Zeus in this book? No, but you're going to encounter Heliod and Ephara and uh, Karametra, the gods of Theros. Okay. Um, so is it possible, like, do they, will they just be, like, taking on, like, mortal forms and just walking among us, and I might be interacting with one of them and not knowing that? That is entirely possible. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. But you might also look up at the night sky and see a constellation moving across the sky and have it turn its head and look down at you and impart knowledge into your brain. Happens all the time. Just like Ray. The moon just did that to me a couple of nights ago. <laughs> we have been cooped up too long. <laughs> <laughs> there might have been some inebriance, uh, some ambrosia <laughs> that was consumed before that happened. <laughs> Uh, but that's awesome. I love and and I love what you said, uh, uh, James, about like how you know if you love gods in Dungeons and Dragons, like this is uh, the book for how you might want to be able to incorporate them in your home campaign or that's or whole cloth. Said. Oh, I'm sorry, what Wes said. <laughs> you are good at sharing. <laughs> It's nice. Uh, well, I'm really glad about what Wes said, not what you said, James. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Same. <laughs> Uh, because I think that's a big part of of what attracted a lot of us when we were kids to fantasy in general, but also very specifically um, uh, with Dungeons and Dragons was that de- uh, and, deities and demigods uh, source book uh, that listed all of the you know the real world. Uh, hi Quinn, I can see his little head popping up. Right there. Um, is that Hermes behind you? Yes. <laughs> um, but like seeing their stat blocks and be like, oh my God, that's how much, you know, Zeus has and blah, blah, blah. And that just got your, your, your creative juices flowing for narrative uh, type thing. And uh, it's been a long time since there's been a, a, a book like that for Dungeons and Dragons, but definitely for fifth edition that takes advantage of, of, of sparking that type of creativity when, when you're a kid. Yeah. The, the first edition of the Eves and Demigods book was a huge influence on me personally and professionally. 
So, and I worked on the third edition Deities and Demigods book back in 2001 or two. Um, one of my earliest projects at Wizards. And then this. So it's been pretty cool. Do you want to say anything about Deities and Demigods Easter eggs in the book, James? <gasps> Are there? Oh, there's, uh, it's at, it's at print one. now, so we got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> so there, one of the um, pieces of art that we commissioned new for the book, most of the art in the book is from Magic Cards, but we did commission a couple new pieces um, to begin each chapter, as well as the cover and one or two others. But anyway, one of them is a definite homage to the cover, the Earl Otis cover of the first edition Deities and Demigods book. And Clever West uh, managed to work the, the words Deities and Demigods into the caption on that illustration. Nice. So it's not something where folks are going to be like, oh, this is that cover. But it's definitely when you look at the arrangement, it's like, oh, they're doing the same thing that, oh, I get it. So That's cool. You know, we're so clever about this that we had to point it out before the books even out. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, I feel a little cheap for mentioning the caption, actually. <laughs> kind of wish I had let them just No it. worries. That's <laughs> That's the type of thing that people will. Not everybody listens to Dragon Talk. I will say so. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you what? Know, you, I know. <laughs> I, th- I thought they did. Like I thought it was mandatory. But. I, I was promised gigantic exposure from. <laughs> I mean, this well, was there my is. work schedule. Like we had to be here. This is this is. <laughs> That's how are you getting paid for everyone? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just like doing this. I, it's, it's all I like to do. Um, but other than other than that Easter egg and, and you know the the inspiration, like what other tendrils of uh, that type of uh, stuff can people see uh, in in this book? You know, like well, you know, if you were excited about deities and demigods when you were a kid, how would you? Uh, will you be excited about Theros? Uh, let's see here. Um, they're not stat blocks. Sorry. There are not stat blocks for gods in this book. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if, if that's the sort of thing that excited you about either previous season of gods, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> each god okay. does have like five pages of information devoted to that god in terms of um, the things about their champions and people who worship them and adventures they might send characters on and locations related to them and stuff like that. So, um, and benefits you have for having a high piety score in relation to that god stuff like that oh what what's the piety score how does that work just as described in the dungeon master's guide (laughs) sorry i um it was helpful (laughs) little optional system in the dungeon master's guide about uh piety which is built off the renown system which we used in Guildmaster's guide to ravnica and blew out there so um, one of the things that I like that we've done in, in both those cases is taken little optional rules systems and blown them out on a larger scale. So um, basically when you do stuff that advances the cause of your God in the world, you get an increase to your piety score. And as that increases, you get some supernatural benefits from that as, as the God's reward. Oh, that's awesome. Did you, yeah, cool. did you put the, the piety score system in the Dungeon Master's Guide, James? Is that something you worked on? I did. I I know you have a background in uh, religious (laughs) studies, so I feel like... Your your own piety score is pretty high. Yeah. Or is it? I don't know. Maybe it's not. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> James, are you okay? Let's, let's, just... <laughs> let's start there. It's not, not something I'm going to boast about. <laughs> Why, well, yes, my binary score is 50, as a matter of fact. It's above 9,000. Beyond, beyond that, James also brought an incredible wealth of knowledge about just Greek mythology in general, Greek history, and what's the relevant language that you, you speak? Or well, So I, I was a minor in Greek language and literature in college. Um, so I, I read the Iliad in Greek in college and went on to study New Testament Greek in graduate school. So um, I'm, I'm particularly proud of my poetic contributions to this book. <laughs> as well as to the Theros card set we released a couple months ago. Um, I wrote a couple of snippets of verse in an English approximation of Homeric meter um, that appear in the the front of this book. (laughs) That might actually be the nerdiest thing that's ever been said on Dragon Talk. (laughs) And like the the coolest way. That is... (laughs) That's so good. I just can't. I mean, we'll never top that. Wow. <laughs> Getting the email with this poem in it and how it was broken down and where the lines need to break and the explanation line by line of how this needs to work. It was just like, perfect. Yes, 100%. Anything wow. This is right. This is the nerdy, the nerdiest English majoriest thing I've seen since college and that is that that yes you win i wish i had had a crown for you that is beautiful a golden book or something that's awesome uh yeah uh and that that's the kind of thing that i think uh is is gonna be inspiring other folks down the line of being like that level of, of creativity, but also incorporating real world things into our fantasy. Um, you know, I, I, we, we already do that with uh, how kind of medieval history and stuff is kind of baked into to D&D. Um, I've been really excited because one of the, my, my favorite campaigns I, I participated in was set in like, you know, kind of a, a Roman time, uh, essentially. Um, and it felt very... What's that? We need to talk. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, w- I was just a player. I was not a uh, um, uh, uh, the DM for it. But I was impressed of being like, oh, this feels very, very different and almost new because so much of D and D can be very, uh, uh, you know, kind of by rote when you're like, oh, we've got castles and blah blah blah. Uh, so, how is that shown in in, in this book of, of of like more of hoplites and and legions and things like that? Is that explored? Definitely. There's a whole section that explores the world of Theros. There are three primary poleis in the book, like city-states that influence a ton of the politicking, a ton of the adventures that happen throughout the world. Um, Akros is very much inspired by, like, Sparta, and they're the more militaristic group. Um, Miletus is sort of more of your Athens, um, which combines both philosophy and magic while also being this naval power. Uh, Mm. And then Satessa has more of this... um, forest, Amazons um, sort of vibe to it. 
where there are these incredible warriors as well that have these deep ties to like, the goddesses of nature and agriculture and whatnot. In addition, like in addition to just having these places where it's expected you're going to explore their cultures, um, the book also presents a ton of options for being heroes that have that more of like Grecian hero or hoplite sort of vibe. And then again, those are reflected later in the bestiary that has, um, you know, like phalanx style hoplites that um, mm. you can run up against, along with a who's who of just Greek mythology foes um, and even some recasts of um, monsters from Greek mythology that we've seen in D&D since the beginning. Awesome. Oh, that's cool. I can't wait to get into the to the, the politics part of it. That's super interesting to me. Uh, as I'm also playing through um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey right now, uh, so uh, it all it's all hitting at the right moment for nice. for, for me. <laughs> My husband has had that on in the background for like the last half of working on this book, so it's been sort of inescapable, but also been like. <laughs> Oh yeah, we do need to have that in there, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Jots down notes. (laughs) But actually something, just completely honestly, one of the things that Assassin's Creed Odyssey in the load screens often has little notes on like, here's this little snippet of like, did you know about Greece? Um, And one of them that came up that I was pleased to see in, in there was a discussion about like, hey, Greek temples and Greek architecture we're not all white. They've just, you know, that we've lost the color over the centuries. That mm. was something where in the art for the book, both what we commissioned and both the the vast wealth of uh, art that we were able to draw on from the magic card sets, um, there's a fantastic number of illustrations of like, Greek architecture, but then it's vividly painted and it's just like really gorgeously done in a much more vibrant, much more living way than we often see it. So we're trying to express the world of Theros as a living, working, breathing, Greek-inspired world rather than, oh, it's this ruin. That's, and you can see that reflected in the uh, the covers too. Like, I, I don't know what I... Um, envisioned when I was hearing about this project, but when I saw those colors, it was not what I expected. It was very much like, oh, this is, as you said, vibrant. It almost felt cosmic uh, in the right kind of way. Um, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned Thor Ragnarok uh, earlier, but it definitely <laughs> felt like, our, oh, this is the book version of Thor Ragnarok, which was uh, really, really exciting uh, to um, think about, right? You know, because obviously there's mythology in, in that as well. So that felt very, very real. Um, yeah, so we're excited. Jason Rainville uh, did a fantastic job, uh, as well as uh, the other artist that I'm blanking on right now. but Kevin Tong. Kevin Tong, who did the alt cover. And part of that plays into the concept of Nyx in the world of Theros, which actually, James, could you, could you give us a summary of what that is? Sure. Yeah, what is that? Uh, Nyx is basically the realm of the gods. Um, so, But it's visible from the mortal world. You look up at the night sky and you see these stars and nebulas and uh, color in the sky and constellations that have uh, form and move and act out stories. Um Basically, the core idea of Theros is that this is a world where dreams and beliefs and uh, thoughts uh, manifest in in reality over time. 
um, and the gods themselves owe their existence to the collective belief of generation upon generation of uh, mortal mortals who fears slash is sort of that makes that happen. Um, it, the, we lost you for a little while there. Oh shoot! My my internet connection is unstable. It says on my screen, it's like so much but else. I think you, I th- <laughs> right? <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but we got the idea that Nyx is where these uh, uh, the dreams and thoughts kind of manifest. Is that what? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's the stuff that uh, that makes them real. Oh. Can can players or or characters travel to that world? Theoretically, yeah. Um, there's a, a brief discussion of the realm of the gods uh, in the book, as well as a less brief discussion of the underworld. So. Theris is kind of a self-contained cosmology, but um, it has the mortal world and mix, and the underworld as part of that. The um, uh, I was going to mention that the Magic: The Gathering card set deals a lot with the underworld, and that seems to be the the the, the shtick of that card set right now. Yes. Um, so, yeah, how, how is that represented? You're saying there's a lot more about the the underworld here. Yeah, um, not like a huge amount. It's primarily about adventures in the world of Theros, but going to the underworld is always an option. There's a, a nice section. Um, so you had a character die, and maybe you want to have that character adventure in the underworld for a while. Um, yeah, a lot of possibilities open up uh, when the underworld is, is such a concrete presence. In addition to the classic sort of Orpheus, okay, we're going to go into the underworld and get somebody out story. Yeah, I was going to say that feels very mythological exactly. to me, you know, Persephone and Orpheus, all those stories. There's a whole race of creatures in in the uh, in the world called the Returned, where they're individuals who died and then managed to, to through a elaborate process that involves making a golden mask, managed to come back across uh, the river that divides the underworld and the world of the living and get a second chance at life, that is not as good as they were probably thinking that it was going to be. Um, These are like players that, that have the opportunity to do this? There's a discussion in there in the treatment of the underworld that James was talking about that puts forward how players might do this, but that's really the world of an or the experience of an adventure. Um, the return themselves are presented more as both foes and characters that you could be sympathetic towards oh. um, that have had the situation. But if you want to, if you die and you want a shot at coming back, that's a whole campaign option that you could explore. Mm. Is it like Pet Cemetery? Do you come back? But <laughs> it's exactly maybe not like Pet Cemetery. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you. <laughs> A in little murdery to cross the rivers that ring the world and, and uh, get back into the mortal world. You sacrifice your identity, um, so you come back with sort of the animating force of your soul, but not your uh, memories and personality. So the returned are are hollow echoes of what they used to be. So why would you want to come back if you're not even going to remember? Like you have, you're not your. Well, Why would you like come back? Like I said, it's not necessarily what they expected. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So you're you didn't you don't know the fine print when you sign up for this. That's right. Sad. Yeah. 
And at least for one of the deities who was a human who died and then came back, uh, the deity Phoenix, he got to be a god out of the deal uh, as a result. So, and there, I think there's a lot of for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm curious. Now, when the cards, the card set was being developed, was this book being talked about at the same time? Like, did you guys know that there was going to be the D&D crossover? I know it was a while ago because these things. I don't think so. I think the okay. card set was pretty far along by the time we started working on the book in earnest. So um, what? Oh, go on. Maybe you're going to answer the second part of my question. As I think about it more, I'm pretty sure that by the time I was doing like flavor text on the cards, I did know that I might have already worked on the book. I can't remember my my schedule anymore. Yeah, well, it was like years ago. <laughs> it was the, the before times. <laughs> um, years ago in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what? Obviously, there's a lot of of history oh, yeah. and lore and magic and D&D, but how, is there something about a particular world and magic that you're like, yes, this, this would be great in D&D? And if so, what, what is it about those worlds? In terms of, um, like, so the first thing that I said about Theros here, the, the reason that I think it makes a great D&D world is because it is such a good model for, for how to make a fantasy world built around mythology. Um, I think the best magic worlds for adaptation into D&D worlds um, are the most resonant magic worlds, the ones that, that it's easiest to sort of uh, wrap your brain around. Ravnica was good because... Um, its guild system gave you a really easy hook into what kind of character you might play in this world and the sorts of things that characters might be asked to do as, as part of their guild. Um, and Theros is similarly well hooked um, with the gods that uh, we get that, that story and that relationship at a, a pretty basic level of understanding. Um, Probably any magic world could be really fun to adapt. I mean, I was, we've talked before on this very podcast about um, other worlds that I've done adaptation work for on a smaller scale. Yeah, all the plane shift. Yeah, all the plane shift articles that you yeah. did uh, were, were, I think, an inspiration for a lot of these crossover books that we're, we're now making. Yep. Um, and pretty much every time we announce a new world now, I get some number of messages on Twitter saying, we're going to see a plane shift for this one. <laughs> People are pretty excited about Aquaria now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that the, uh, the exciting uh, set is coming with Kaiju. Yep. So many big monsters. Nobody, nobody likes big monsters in D&D. <laughs> no. <laughs> Boring. Said the Tarasque. <laughs> now, that's actually an interesting point because Theros also has some pretty big monsters in it. Um, we introduce a new set system that um, actually one of our contractors, uh, Ryan Black, started the initial exploration on, and then Jeremy Crawford, Dan Dillon, Ben Petrosor continued to flesh out into a system that's called Mythic Monsters, which are three monsters that are presented as their own thing within the best year of this book. And they're, they're characters that have 
special abilities that are designed to make them feel like capstone encounters. Like these are the monsters that you put at the end of your campaign and it's going to be a big event. It's going to be a longer battle. It's going to be, there's going to be um, more of an action, more of a cinematic element to it. Right down to the fact that every one of them have an ability that comes along with a bit of read aloud text that has a like mid battle transformation or special effect that unfolds as part of this capstone encounter. That's oh, awesome. Good. They're 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 mythic almost in scale. Yeah, like one like Hythonia is like the queen of the Medusae. Um, Tromocratus is like really your over the top Clash of the Titans level Kraken, and then Arasta's just a spider nightmare. Uh, but <laughs> it's so like, oh boy, when folks see the new art for her, it's something. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, there's already, uh, you know, with the layer encounters and, and, and things like that, there's always a, lo- a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on. But So adding a whole other layer to that uh, does sound like it would feel, I don't know, bright, like the climax of a movie or something. Yeah. Um, so with all that extra power on the, on the monster side or the dungeon master side, uh, what type of boons from the gods can... Uh, player characters get all sorts um, and it's it actually starts right with character creation we have a, a set of supernatural gifts that you can choose um, right as you're making a starting character to reflect sort of your mythic ties or um, yeah ties to the gods or ties to other supernatural forces in the world um, like I was made in the forge of per- for us. Uh, and, and and then you ruined the internet when you talked about it. <laughs> I know we're never going to know. The forge of uh, the forge say of that one more time. Perforos, Perforos, Perforos is the god of the forge. Um, yeah, so uh, you might choose a gift that makes you almost warforged like as a uh, living construct sort of thing. Oh, neat! That's cool. Are you choosing these gifts, huh? or is it something like you roll for? They are choices you make. Oh, awesome. And everybody gets everybody gets a supernatural gift? Yes. I love that. Yeah, part of the conceit of character creation in Theros is that you're a hero. Like, from level one, you are special. You're going to be a Hercules. You're going to be a Perseus. Like, if you really want to play the anonymous daughter of a baker like yeah you (laughs) could do that but really from chapter one character creation here's how you're special here's how you have a destiny here's how you're going to have great things and here's why the gods love you go what and why other gods might hate you yeah yeah, so right. it took us forever to settle on the title for this book, but once we did, we like embrace it whole hog, and we're like, okay, how can we make sure this is appropriately mythic, mm-hmm. um, mm. and really trying to tie it in. Like, <laughs> there's there's a section in each god's entry about the crazy crap that they might <laughs> that they might try to to do. You know, like. Um, Heliod says it's time finally for the strife between the brothers Eroes and Mogus to end. So he kills them both. (laughs) 
I, okay. I don't think okay. that's actually in the book, but <laughs> by way of crazy example. And so like, it's sort of like the the uh, campaign events talked about in the Dungeon Master's Guide. They, these can be huge things that a, a god might do that sets the course of the campaign. Um, but really, make sure that you never forget what world you're playing in and why we call mm. the book Mythic Odysseys. Is there is there an idea that, um, you know, like the Trojan War, for example, is kind of famously one of the major conflicts of that time, um, but there was like half the gods were on the Trojan side and half the gods were on uh, the Greek side, and then it ended up being this like proxy war between these two factions. Is that is that kind of you know that that some of your 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 the villains that you're fighting against actually also have a, a backing uh, from deities? Absolutely, yes. I, the the adventurous chapter of the book um, is organized by God and and focuses a lot on um, the sorts of villains who might have ties to to each god in various ways, the ways that they could um, shape a campaign. Um, whether they're doing the god's will or just think they are. <laughs> um, and the the network of uh, relationships among all the gods is, is very knotted, um, <laughs> very complicated. Uh, so it would be weird to see them divided neatly into two camps. Um, but for a conflict, like if a, a new Akroan war were to break out, for example, the, the DM might decide to say, okay, these gods are on this side, these gods are on this side. What does that do to a party conflict, um, a party where the, the characters have allegiances to different gods, that sort of thing? Oh, yeah, it could, could lead to some, some interesting conflicts between uh, the party. Yeah, and the way I'm thinking about a party setup in this is very much like, like Jason and the Argonauts, or something like that, or the the companions of Odysseus, and 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 even though there might be one figure that is the 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 protagonist or the the uh, focal point of the campaign, it really is like we're on this journey together. Yeah, um, very much like with Ravnica, we we have some discussion of okay, so maybe you maybe you serve all, all serve the same god. That could be a campaign that you decide to build, or what happens if you are serving different gods. Um, or not serving any gods at all. That's always an option. Yeah, this, it feels different than uh, and more important than just like choosing your alignment in a regular campaign. So uh, like even like these supernatural gifts, is this something that like y- your whole party knows what your gift is? Or is it something that you hide from them? Or That's entirely is it up, up to you. you? Mm-hmm. Okay. What, if, what if the god of secrets doesn't want you to tell? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, what your just, supernatural gift is. It seems rife with like in party conflict, which I kind of like. I mean, it's just like another layer to the story, but there's which is a, also kind of like inherent in mythology anyway. So, yeah, and there's definitely a discussion in there about yes, you may have rival gods, but here's reasons to work together. There's often reasons where you might be put in a situation like. You're telling a story that is sort of like the Odyssey, and you are all marooned, and you all have to get back, and you are only going to get back if you cooperate. Um, so what are situations that might influence a campaign that puts these unlikely champions in the same camp? I think this sounds fun. Now, there's also, I mean, in, in playing some of the... Uh, um, cards in the Magic the Gathering set, uh, 
there is this concept of uh, destroying the gods and killing them. Uh, is that something that is shown in, in this book and, and how that might be done to, to take down one of these deities? Um, I know I wrote words on the subject. I'm trying to remember if they survived <laughs> into the book. Wes, did they, did they survive? It is <laughs> an element that is discussed in the book. Um, but it is not the experience of how many hit points does Thor have? Oh, let me punch him until he's dead um, is not mm. really what's being frontlined. It's more of, yes, you can engage with them. And yes, you might be able to get to a point where you are the super favorite of a deity and have great influence over the world. But there have even been experiences in Theros in the recent past where Things have happened that have where a deity has been supplanted or a god has the status quo has been mixed up and it hasn't been great. So there's a <laughs> lot of reasons where folks are like, okay, maybe maybe we want to work things out in some less murdery ways. Is there ever uh, you know one god that might bless a weapon uh, and, and allow it to be have more power? Maybe not to slay another god, but to at least be able to slay that god's enemies. Well, one of the things that the piety system does play into is a number of artifacts that are presented in the book, and these are literally the weapons of several of the gods. And depending on how pious you are, depending on how how aligned you are with these deities the more power is unlocked from that weapon. So if you're like, oh, Heliod, he's fine. Okay, you get a little bit of power. But if it's like, oh, Heliod's great, the thing is like much more of a super weapon in your hands. How do you prove that in a campaign though? Like, couldn't I just say that? I love my God, he's amazing. There's like nobody's checking me on that, right? That's why you have a piety score. It's I guess we know what mine would be. <laughs> it's a rule now. Can they go up and down and up and down? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Good to know. Good to Good know. To okay. Know. So is that right. the concept of, of God weapons that I was reading about? Having, yeah, okay. that sounds like probably. Okay. All right. Could be a you know, there's another element that we didn't really touch on that Greg mentioned earlier with the number of folks who got into D&D through like being in the, their elementary school or middle school and be like, oh, these, these, these Greek stories, these seem pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I definitely like coming up. It's like book with a Hydra on the cover. Yeah, okay, I'm all about this. Um, so this in many this book in many ways is D and D's love letter to Greek mythology. And as part of that, because I think so many of us got into adventures and storytelling through these myths, we wanted to make sure that we filled the book with myths. So throughout the entirety of the book, there's little snippet sidebars usually associated with art that are like, and here's the myth of the king's Kynos and Tyros. Here's the myth of the Acroan War. Here's a whole section of myths about Heliod or Karametra or whoever have you. And it's throughout the whole book. So if you just want to read the book as a storybook, You've got a good bit in there for you. Oh, I love that too. Teachers, take note. This is a very good teaching (laughs) tool as well. 
Why just read about the Greek gods or, or mythology when you can play through it? Mm-hmm. Love it. And I do love that uh, there's so much uh, different kinds of D&D material uh, in, in these setting books. I mean, we've been doing that uh, kind of uh, a lot throughout 5th edition, but I think these... Uh, Ravnica was one in this one where there's you know there's different races that you can play. We didn't even really touch on those, but there's yeah. the, the Leonin and the Seder. Is those are those two new ones? Yep. Um, there's these weapons that can be imbued by the god. There's the adventures. Uh, w- are, and how many adventures are included in this? One adventure, three hundred. Three hundred <laughs> adventures. Anywhere between one so, and three hundred adventure hooks. <laughs> I guess there's thousands. <laughs> Yes, there would be one full adventure. <laughs> exactly like the, the uh, Eberron book and the Ravnica book. There's a, a short introductory adventure, but then the adventures chapter is full of tables, full of adventure hooks, because it turns out I love writing those. <laughs> the best part of... It's the best part of novel writing, isn't it? Where you're just like, here's the outline. It, you, know, here's <laughs> yeah. the, you fill in the blanks. <laughs> you finish all that work. I'll just come up with the ideas. <laughs> 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 yeah, they, they might be on to us, James. I see how it works. And uh, new, well, new subclasses, very... too? Subclasses, yes, we forgot about right? that. There's a lot. There's yep. a, a lot of content in this book. Yep. We've got the Bard College of Eloquence, and we've got the Paladin Oath of Glory, which is you're the most hero we hero. Whoever heroed. No pressure. In, while eating a hero. Not the the subway sandwich hero, but the you know G Y R O, keeping it uh, keeping it Mediterranean. Our our, uh, code name for this project was Falafel. The very first uh, whole team stand up meeting we had, Wes actually brought Falafel to the meeting. Oh, I wish I was there. Lunch that day. It was going to conclude with baklava, but then, you know. Right. <laughs> but. <laughs> we couldn't find any baklava? Um, then we, well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was all eaten. I, I think I stole the baklava. Uh, <laughs> thereupon started an adventure uh, where people needed to figure out who stole the baklava. <laughs> If you well, ever find gluten-free phyllo dough anywhere, please let me know. Oh. <laughs> I'm baklava. <laughs> oh, one small tear. Small. I <laughs> uh, uh, love uh, hearing you two talk about this stuff. It gets me inspired to, um, you know, uh, start a campaign uh, using some of these elements. And I think that's what I was trying to get at with listing all of the different things uh, that are available in this book is that you don't necessarily have to jump into the Theros setting whole cloth, although that's a lot of information is there able for you to do that. But you can pick and pull out various parts of this book and hopefully uh, start up a campaign that feels uh, flavorful with all this myth. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do it. Um, is June 2nd coming fast enough? That's what I want to know. No. <laughs> it's not. It will not. Um, but we. We'll be jumping into a lot more lore about uh, this book. Uh, you know, we, we kind of mentioned uh, Heliod and a lot of the other gods, um, but I would love to kind of just pick uh, one of your brains for a, for a Lore You Should Know segment going on and it's talking about th- these stories because, uh, you know, even the examples that you're coming up with, James, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, killing off brothers and things like that, I'm going to be like, yeah, what's, 
What's what's the real story? And then let's figure out how we can uh, uh, mess it all up once we start playing in this world. That would be amazing. Cool. Awesome. I have one well, last question. Go for it, Shelly. Can I take my god weapon into another another campaign? Like, is it my characters forever, or does it only stay in this campaign? It has actually happened in Magic Cannon. The Bident of Thassa was stolen by a planeswalker, Kiora, the merfolk planeswalker. She brought it back with her to Zendikar. Oh, then I shall do and it. And used it to fight the Eldrazi. Done. As Good your dungeon know. master, I would allow that, Shelley. Yeah, really? like def- definitely ask your GM. <laughs> but yes, you're so you pious, do. Wes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Well, I think after this conversation, our piety scores all like are reduced by five. <laughs> Oh, man, it's Good Friday, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it is Good Friday. I didn't even think about that. Well, uh, I'm going to start singing Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, so, uh-uh. Well, thanks for having us. <laughs> okay. Wes, we, we, were were talking, we, we were just saying that. We think that you probably miss hearing Tito bust out in a musical verse every now that, and again, right? It's, that is a thing that somebody could say. You, have, you haven't been quarantined long enough for that to happen yet. <laughs> My mind is clearer now. <laughs> At last. Yes, do it. Day by day, sing it out. <laughs> I'm going to reframe. And then, and then Wes just like melts uh, into nothingness. <laughs> like, oh, and my connection's not good. Uh, my internet's <laughs> unstable. <laughs> Just shaking the window here. It's like, oh, nobody can see that. <laughs> All my sight gags. Oh, nice. Aww. Thank you. We uh, well, I appreciate it. Thanks for flying uh, in and enjoying all this fun stuff. Uh, I will not sing anymore until <laughs> the next call we have, Wes. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. We are going to take a short break uh, now. Um, well, actually, no. Stop. Before I do that, I will definitely make sure and say, uh, how can people pester you with questions, if that's okay, uh, on uh, social media or, or follow what your work is going on? Uh, James, we'll start with you. Where, how can people follow you? Um, my Twitter is at Aquella James, A-Q-U-E-L-A James. Um, that's my D&D world that I made in high school. Um, <laughs> that is probably the best place to keep up with me. Although if you go to aquella.com, I've got a kind of list of everything, my social media presence everywhere. Nice. Uh, what about you, Wes? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FWesSchneider. And if you're just following D&D, you've got a link in what we just tweeted out. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you, folks. Thanks Good for having us. Good to see you. Good to see you guys, too. too. I love talking to those two people. Good to see those two little brainiacs. My I'm goodness. I'm so excited about uh, Theros. I think it's going to be uh, a, an extremely interesting time. And neither of them cried. Well. I, I mean, mean, they could be right now. I, I think I saw like some some welling. It was some close. welling up. It was of, definitely of close. Yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna cry over how good that book is. <laughs> it's so good. It is so good, and I'm going to collect those tears and yes. uh, make a magic item, uh, perhaps a a mythic god weapon from your tears, because you are a goddess.
Yes. And uh, perhaps your tears can slay Loth and you can overtake her as the Spider Queen. I don't know that I would do that, though. Tiamat? Slay Tiamat? No, I love her, too. You know I love the female villains. All right. Well, then you'll team up with them and kill all the patriarchy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Give me my weapon. I like it. Awesome. I think uh, I support this and I will be your hench person. Okay. All right. I will not kill you. <laughs> Please don't kill me. I will not. <laughs> I've you got get a to pointy stay. bow. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, I feel like I need to play some D&D with you again, Shelley. Let's um, do it. I miss it. I miss it very much. I do too. Before Maybe we, we can get... do that online. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Um, but before we get to oh con- the continuing storyline of... Uh, Drunky Two Shoes, how yes. can people follow you and find out more about what you're doing, Shelly? Why don't you follow me on the Twitters at Shelly mm-hmm. Moo? You know, I I troll Instagram all the time, yeah. like looking at beautiful houses, and then I but now I'm actually like using it properly. So I'm Shelly Moo there too. <gasps> you joined the the, the gram? I mean, I, I've been there. I just yeah. use it to like I just look at stuff, and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna I could actually like use this. Yeah, because you are an amazing like an interior designer and exterior designer. Like, no. start showing off your creations. Oh no, no, no! I just like to look at other people's interior design. Like, that's basically I just like follow. I, I follow reality TV people and um, interior designers. I know, but you can you can also <laughs> take pictures and share them. Um, nobody right. wants to see that. I do. Oh, who wants to see it? Everyone, raise your hands. Okay. I want to see it. Then I will send you a picture. Excellent. Well, where are you? I am at Greg Tito on Twitter and on the Instagrams at Greg underscore Tito. Uh, if you look on my Instagram, I recently po- uh, posted a picture of my daughter's tooth that I yanked Thought. out. Ew. Yeah, she really wanted it out, and and we were doing it a couple of times, and I pulled, pulled, and then she was like gearing up, and then I eventually was just like. And it came out, and uh, she was so happy. Oh my god! Oh, that's so Fiona that she would just be like, "Get it out! Just let's just rip it out of my, my face. Let's go." I mean, there was some trepidation, you know. It was it oh. definitely was scared, but like she wanted to to have it be done, and and I uh, can't. you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's I I never done that. Actually, no, that's not true. I have done that with Fiona actually uh, before with her other tooth. Really, her mo- her mom was trying to get it out, and and. She was like, oh, I don't know. And then she just went oh, over to me and she's like, you I'm sure? You want me to try? She's like, yeah. And I just did it like the first try. And they were like, oh, my gosh, we were trying for hours trying to get that out. And you did it with one pole. No. And I was like, yeah, that's because I rolled really high on my strength check to yank teeth. <laughs> I can't do it. That's just not my job. I can't. Like Quinn's only lost two teeth so far. And I think he he swallowed one because we just let it get so loose that it, it just fell he out swallowed of his mouth. it? Like in, we never, we never, we never found it. Like we oh, wow. never saw it ever. And the other one was so loose. Not the other like way. He came up to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was like hanging off his lip. He was like, no, 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 "I think my tooth is coming out." I'm like, "Oh, I guess, I guess I'm gonna have to finally acknowledge this." And it was like one swipe of a tissue, and it just came out. Like yeah. it's so gross. I can't do the the pulling of the teeth. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I think that is that has become my job for sure. So I, uh, I'm um, happy to take it. And if you would like an insight into some of that, uh, you can follow us on the Instagram, and uh, you can. Who sh- doesn't want that? 
Yeah, I know, right? I also do post a lot of D&D stuff, too. You do. Um, but, of course, we want to make sure everyone is uh, aware that there is tons of tools and resources available for you to play Dungeons & Dragons uh, online. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but go to dnd.wizards.com slash remote, and yes. you can find out daily drops of free content, including adventures from Adventurers League uh, and other sources on Dungeon Masters Guild, Roll20, and Fantasy Grounds, uh, as well as D&D Beyond. Uh, tons of stuff is there, and again, we'll be doing it each day. So check back, uh, and there's even some clues about what's coming up, so you might be able to kind of guess and, and and have a bit of fun with that as well. So make it happen. Um, there's no excuse not to get into D&D and uh, uh, tell your friends uh, how to start up a campaign so that we have some togetherness and uh, camaraderie um, during this time, and you can't you can't get that in any other better way, in nope. my humble opinion, than it. rolling dice and finding your lost long uh, brother. Yes, hopefully, litter mate. All right, yes. so drunky two shoes. Yeah. When we last left you, uh, yeah. you had come out of the forest where you had received a vision of your brother Daryl Two Shoes, perhaps in a maritime setting. Yes. Uh, but as you left the forest, you saw a figure with a cloak. And you rolled really high in your perception and you saw a glint of metal yes. uh, shining from under the cloak. What do you do? Um, I pounce on this person. <gasps> Excellent. All right. So you see this glint of metal. It's about, you know, uh, uh, 30 feet away. Yeah. And you immediately sense danger. Your hackles yes. on yep. the back of your neck rise up. <laughs> and you yep. start running and start pouncing. Uh, all right. I'm going to roll initiative for you. You ready? Okay. Oh, you rolled a one. Oh, no. A one in initiative. No. Uh, so oh, you're, drunky. You're pouncing and running as fast as you can, uh, but the f- uh, figure casually pulls out its sword and is about to I'm going to be impaled. As about as to I'm... stab you. We'll see what happens uh, next time. All right, let me write that down. Dragon Talk. So great. Thanks for that. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.